So most of us have used a GPS device at some point or another, whether that was built into your car, whether you're a little bit old school and you had one that you attached to the dash, uh, or if it's on your cell phone. And we rely on them pretty heavily to get from point A to point B. GPS units can provide us with some very good information and they can tell us exactly where we are at any given time. They can tell you how to get from point A to point B. They can tell you which route to take. And they can even tell you how to get back on course when we mm -hmm. maybe stray from the correct path. God's word is very much like a GPS in our lives. So this morning, we're going to take a look at those three functions on a GPS and how they relate to God's word. Uh, so we're going to take a look at how to determine our position. God calls it testing. We're going to look at what route we should take. God uses trials for that. And we're going to look at sometimes we need to make course corrections. And God uses discipline for that. So we're going to kind of go through those. Uh, a quick note, apologies for those who heard some of this at prayer meeting earlier in the year. Uh, I was asked to repeat it for the, the bigger audience that was thought that uh, some of us would benefit from it. Certainly I have in going through it again. So we're going to start off with testing and ask the question, where are you in your walk with the Lord? Are you serving him? We just had a message from Phil about the need to be in service. Are there issues in your life? Is there sin in your life that has gone unchecked? If you were to ask your Maps app, it will tell you exactly where you are pretty much anywhere on Earth within a few meters, which is pretty impressive. If you ask God in his word, to reveal to you where you are in your walk with the Lord, he will also pinpoint exactly where you are in your walk and whether it's going well, whether it's deficient, whether there's things that you can improve upon. The NASB dictionary defines a test as a challenging or difficult situation imposed by God for the purpose of strengthening our faith and not to be confused with temptation. A challenging or difficult situation imposed by God for the purpose of strengthening our faith. So that word testing is translated a few different ways in, in various um, Bible versions, but one, one of the words specifically is dokimadzo, which is defined in Vine's dictionary as to prove with a view to approving. To prove with a view to approving. Other definitions are to test, examine, prove, scrutinize, to determine whether something is genuine or not, to recognize as genuine after examination, to prove to deem worthy. But I really want to talk just for a moment about to prove with a view to improving. There's a really important distinction in that word, to prove with a view to approving. It's not a test with a hidden meaning to find fault. That's how the world works all the time. That's not how God works. 
it's not like a test to get your driver's license where they're looking for reasons to fail you. It's a test with the intent to approve. God wants us to be successful in those tests, in that testing, that time of testing. Depending on your translation, uh, you may see this word again translated as prove, try, approve, discern, analyze, test, allow. Uh, several different verses, and we're going to fill them on this screen here just to kind of solidify that thought. Hopefully, that's large enough to see. Uh, Romans chapter 2 and verse 18. Excuse me, I'm going to have to drink a lot of water because I'm fighting a bit of a head cold right now. Uh, Romans 2 and 18. To know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. Romans 12 and 2 in the NASB. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and what, which is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Corinthians 3.13 in the ESV. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. First Corinthians 11 and 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. And then finally, James 1, 3, knowing that the testing of your faith proves, excuse me, produces endurance. God is going to test us. He's going to test us to reveal our actions, reveal our condition, test us so that our faith can be strengthened. And we should welcome, we should seek out those times so that we can rejoice in our success and that God can show us where we are in our walk, where we need to improve, things we need to work on. Just like that GPS, God knows exactly where we're at at any given time. We may not know where we're at in our walk. We may not be paying attention to where we are in our walk. But if we ask God, he will show us. And take a look at trials. So one of the interesting things about a GPS device is how it determines the route that you take. It will get you from point A to point B, but you've got some options to choose. Do you want to go the fastest route? Do you want to go the shortest route? Do you want to avoid highways, avoid traffic, toll roads, whatever? Sometimes, and maybe even often, the route that the GPS suggests to you might not be what you would consider to be the best way to go. It's certainly not the way you would normally go. And that really comes down to how the GPS is determining where, you, where and how you should get there. Sometimes it might be five or 10 seconds faster to go through these three side roads. You would never think to do that though. You know, straight line, that's how you're gonna go. But the GPS will suggest something different. Sometimes it can lead to really strange routes. You would definitely not ever think of. Maybe that shortest route's gonna take you through some cornfields. 
has some grain silos, might not get close and personal with some cows. But at the same time, that road is taking you to places that you wouldn't often go. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to experience some sights or some events that you would not have realized or recognized otherwise. It's very much like the trials that God places in our lives. He will allow a trial so that we will experience a certain event, a certain situation. And through that, he's going to strengthen our faith. NASB Bible Dictionary defiles a defines a trial as a time of great difficulty or persecution, which Christians must, must endure. Such trials are allowed by God for the purpose of strengthening faith and character. Trial is a time of great difficulty or persecution, which Christians must endure. There is a subtle difference between testing and trials. They are very much related, but a, a pure test, if you would, is used by God to reveal something, to show us something. Where you are in your walk, sin in your life, whatever that issue might be. Whereas a trial, as a difficult situation, is allowed by God to strengthen our faith, to growth opportunity. Put another way, a test gives you a status update. A trial gives you an opportunity to move forward. Now, certainly some trials can also be used to test us. It's not that black and white, but their primary, the primary function of a trial is to strengthen our faith and our character. That's, that's the bottom line, that's the point. Got a couple of verses here. Push the button. First Peter 4, verse 12 and 13 in the ESV says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. You've been told, you've been warned, you know what's coming. The word here for test is actually parasmos, and it's defined as an experiment, attempt, trial, or approving. Again, that proving to, uh, with the intent to improve. James 1 and 2, James chapter 1, 2 and 3 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So James tells us how we're supposed to approach trials. We're to consider it a joy when we undergo a trial. I don't know about you, I tend not to be very joyful when I'm going through a trial. And yet, we're clearly told to consider it a joy. Like many in this room, I've had to walk my share of trials, some very difficult. 
joy was definitely not at the top of my list. And I, I know many in the room have, have gone through some very difficult situations as well. And the, the, the situations could be completely different. It's how we respond to those trials that really dictates what kind of an attitude we're going to have towards it, if it's a positive attitude or it's a negative attitude. It's how we respond to the trials that really matters. Now, careful, that doesn't mean that we can't question God. It doesn't mean that we can't be angry at God for a period of time. Those are natural instincts if we're going through a difficult situation. And they're okay. The key is over time, we don't get stuck there. That with healing, God's grace, prayer, support of one another, fellowship with one another, leaning on one another, building one another up, that we can move forward. As long as we're not stuck in that place of wondering, why is this happening to me? As long as we're stuck there, we can't move forward. When we do finally get to the point through healing and prayer and grace that we can move forward, then God can start to use that trial. If we can get to the point where we recognize that God is sovereign, that he loves us, that he's got our best interest at heart, that he's going to bring some kind of good through this situation, through this trial, then it becomes easier for us to be joyful about that trial. It's not going to be at the beginning. It's a process. And it is worth noting, and I've, I've certainly spoken about this in the past years ago, the difference between joy and happy. Consider it a joy means to have an inner peace, to be content with a situation, to understand that God has a reason, a purpose, and he's going to use it for good, even if I can't see it at the moment. Happy is an emotion. We're not normally going to be happy about going through a trial. We're not told to be happy about going through a trial. We're told to have a peace, to be content with the fact that God is doing a work and to let him do that work. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Does not mean that we're not going to struggle. Doesn't mean we're not going to have questions or question our faith even. Doesn't mean that there won't be tears shed. But working through that process, leaning on God, leaning on one another, building one another up, we can get to a place where we can still have that inner joy, that confidence, that peace, that God's in control, that God knows what he's doing. And that's why I love the song. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you know what you're doing, God. It's certainly a lot easier for us to navigate a trial when we can also get our heads around the bigger picture. 
and that's hard. Ultimately, most of the time, certainly I'm guilty of this, and I suspect most would say the same, you get hyper-focused in on the moment. This is happening to me now. This is hard now for me right now. Go back to the analogy of the GPS. It's got a zoom in and a zoom out feature. And if you're zoomed in really tight, you can see exactly where you are and you know the next step ahead of you, it's turn right there. But you can't see the bigger picture. You don't know where it's taking you. If you zoom out, you get to see the bigger picture. And oh, it's taking me here and there and it's gonna go through this, this spot or that spot. We don't know what God has in store as he's working us through a given trial or situation. We're not necessarily gonna know how God is going to use that situation. Again, it's very much like our Christian walk. It's very easy to get hyper-focused on the moment. No idea why God is allowing this thing to happen. But we know God's word is very clear that a lot of these trials are designed to deepen our faith and our reliance on God. Part of that reliance on God is trusting that he's got our best interests at heart, trusting that he's going to use it because we don't see it at the time. We don't see it in the moment of our grief, in the moment of whatever situation we're going through. We can't understand all of God's purposes and how an event in our life might be used years from now. It might be used to touch somebody else. That trial might better prepare us to help somebody else later down the road because it's a shared experience. That you've gone through something somebody else has gone through, going through now, and you can help them a little bit. If we can grasp the truth, if we can grasp that truth and allow ourselves to realize that there's more involved than the circumstances of the moment, we'll be better equipped to lean on God through that time. But again, we have to zoom out a little bit and try to see that bigger picture. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about discipline, chastening if you've got a KGV Bible. Traveling along that road in your G GPS and suddenly you get off the road for coffee or a bio break and the GPS responds with the infamous phrase, recalculating route. I actually hear that a lot from our GPS, recalculating, recalculating, turn left 100 meters, recalculating, take a legal U-turn. The problem occurs when we think we know better. Whether it's with the GPS or whether it's with God, as soon as we start to rely on our own strength and our own wisdom, that's when you hear recalculating, recalculating. I can almost envision God saying, Tom's doing it his way again, left the path, implementing discipline now. So why are we disciplined? Where's discipline? What's discipline about? To be fair, there can be many reasons. 
But I would suggest to you often, it's because we've given God a reason to discipline us. Think about that. He's not doing it for fun. If he's disciplining us, it's because we've given him a reason to. Maybe it's to get our attention. Maybe it's because we need to have gotten off the path a little bit. And we need a reset. The, the term discipline and chasten are used somewhat interchangeably between the various translations, but generally it always refers to God's correction. That's the bottom line. Discipline is a tool for God's correction. The NASB Bible Dictionary defines discipline or chastisement as a correction given by God the Father to his children. Discipline often takes the form of difficulties allowed or caused by God to bring about improvement and maturity in our lives. That's the M word. Correction given by God the Father to his children. God disciplines us as his children. It means he's also giving us an example on how we're supposed to discipline our children. Biblical discipline can be used to teach, to instruct, to correct. A few verses we're going to go through. Job 5 and 17 says, Behold, happy is the person whom God disciplines. That actually should be joy, not happy. Behold, happy is the person whom God disciplines. So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. Or in vernacular children, don't despise your parents' discipline. Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And the big one in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, this is in the NLT. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. We're disciplined for our own good because God knows we need a correction. The verse five in the NASB says, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God has disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So let's just think on this passage for a bit. We know God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, 
God provided for their needs, provided the manna. Have you ever really noticed verse four? I have to say I did not until I was studying for this. Your clothing did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. I missed that. That's one of the beauty, beautiful things about God's word is you can read it many times and something jumps off the page at you. I can't go walk through Costco without my feet getting sore. They wandered around the desert for 40 years. Their feet didn't get sore. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. God was protecting them while he was disciplining them. God was protecting them while he was disciplining them. Yes, they were being taught a lesson. They were absolutely going through a trial. They even had to endure punishment. But at the same time, God was showing them grace. He provided them manna. He cared for their physical needs. He cared for their clothing. Cared for their feet. Still being disciplined. Still being taught a lesson. But it was measured. Spoiler, that's how we're supposed to discipline our children. Lovingly, but with restraint. We need to be firm. We need to correct them when they err. But it must be done with love and not beyond what they're able to bear. Ephesians 6 and 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We do have a responsibility to teach our children the things of God. They need to be corrected and disciplined when they sin or disobey. But we also have to find that balance between discipline and punishment. A wise man once said, discipline is for our children's benefit, punishment's for our benefit. But we want that pound of flesh because you weren't listening. Punishment is punitive. Discipline is restorative or corrective. If we're too harsh, we provoke them to anger instead of teaching them to do better. Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. It's a great verse. Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Discipline your son while there's still hope. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. While there's still hope. There's a relatively small window of years where we can really influence how our children grow. If we tolerate certain behaviors while they're young, it's very difficult to correct them later when they get a little bit older. While there's still hope implies that there is a time that they're going to reach when they're going to make their own choices exercise their own free will 
and be accountable for their own decisions. There's that window. While there's still hope, you can influence them. You can teach them. You can encourage them to follow the Lord. And as parents, we have that responsibility to teach our children, to model Christ to our children. But at the same time, they're going to come to an age, and the ones in this room are of that age, where they're going to make their own choices, their own decisions. Sometimes they're going to make poor choices. And they may wander from the Lord. And we can continue to pray for them. We should not beat ourselves up over the decisions that our adult children make. We can't hold ourselves responsible for their sins. As parents, our responsibility is to teach them, to train them while they're young. They're responsible for what they do with that teaching when they get older, not us. Share one last closing thought. Hypothetical situation. A person is diagnosed with a serious disease. So is this, is this situation a test to measure their faith? Is it a trial to increase their faith? Is it an act of discipline because of some sin in their life? We don't know. We can't know. And the distinctions between those three are not always clear. And regardless, it's not our job to judge it anyway. That's not our job. Our job is to support and build one another up. In the scheme of eternity, God uses many of us and many events in our lives to work on his purposes. As I mentioned before, it's very easy for us to get focused in the moment, that tragic event that's happening to someone. And we don't understand why would God allow this event? Why has God allowed this person to be taken from this earth too soon to undergo cancer, whatever? We don't know. And, and it's our human nature to want to know. It's not our job. It's not our job to understand the why. If we could zoom out far enough, Perhaps God could reveal to us why he's allowed this, what he's using it for. Perhaps when we get to heaven and we have a better insight into why God allowed some tragedy, what was the good, Romans 8.28, that he's going to bring out of it. Our job is to embrace one another, to, to support one another, to lift one another up, to help one another. We can only respond to what we know. We know that God's in control. We know there's no accidents with God. And we do know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called to his purpose. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Dear God and Holy Father, I just thank you for this time, Father, that we could look into your word. These are weighty topics, Father, and we just thank you that your word does give us instruction about testing and trials and discipline. 
And ultimately, Father, we know that all things work together for good. It may not feel like that at times, and that's okay. You may not understand why, and that's okay. But we know you're sovereign. We know you're in control. We know you have a plan. And we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you that that's not our responsibility. We can just lean on you, that we can ask for your help, that we have access to the throne of grace through prayer. We have your grace poured upon us. And we can just rely on you in those times for the strength that we need. And on each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can share the burdens with one another. But we just thank you again for this time, Lord. We thank you for your word and just pray that... Uh, what you would have us to retain from this, Father, would resonate with us, that it would help us as we go through difficult situations, and that in those things that we can rely on your Son, the Lord Jesus, he will get all the glory, and we just thank you in his name. Amen.